removed some of these reasons, but I want to share these reasons with you, hopefully as quickly as I can. Um, but if not, uh, maybe I'll maybe we'll bump this to the following week as well. Um, but these are just reasons why I actually believe in the Bible. Um, number one, number one reason why I believe the Bible is the Bible tells me so. I believe in the Bible because the Bible tells me to believe in the Bible. Now, some of you are like, that seems like a very weak argument. But you've got you've to start with that argument. If you're going to say something about ultimate authority in this world, uh, what does that authority say about itself? It, it should recognize its own authority. And this may seem like circular to you, but, but, but what does the Bible say about itself? Let's just first, let's just first acknowledge that. Psalm 19.9 says, The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. That's what the Bible says. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, we're going to probably refer to this verse a lot, right? It it says this about Scripture. The Bible says this. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is from God's breath. It's as if when Scripture speaks, it is God-breathing. It's God-exhaling, exhaling like that, right? God-breathed. Or or 2 Peter 1.20-21, a prophecy isn't just from man's own opinion, but the Bible says, when the Word of God speaks, it is men moved by the Holy Spirit speaking from God. The, the Bible claims to be the very Word of God. That's very important to start out with that. If the Bible didn't claim that, if it was just based on the testimony of other things, uh, then, we, then we'd throw off the Bible if the Bible didn't claim that. But because the Bible claims that, now we've now we got to say, okay, then let's... Let's, let's think about other evidences. But first, I want you to think this is what the Bible claims. The Bible also speaks of itself as Scripture and treats itself as such. For example, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of Micah, the other prophet in the Old Testament, as Holy Scripture. It referred to another prophet and said, that is God's Word. That is Holy Scripture. The prophet Daniel treated Jeremiah as if it was Holy Scripture. The Apostle Paul spoke, spoke of the whole entire Old Testament as, once again, God breathed. Um, the Apostle Peter spoke of Paul's writing. And you see this in Second Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter spoke of Paul's writing. And another apostle that lived at the same time as him. Peter spoke of Paul as Scripture. The, the Apostles understood themselves as speaking from God and they recognized the Old Testament as speaking from God. And the Old Testament recognized itself as speaking from God. Uh, the Bible's testimony of itself can't be ignored. You can't just say it's a good moral book. You can't say that. You, you can't say that at all. You say the Bible makes some pretty high claims. Now let's move to my second reason. My second reason why I believe in the Bible. It is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit. Here's a key word for you. It is inspired. Uh, that's where we get the idea of God breathed. And, and I referred to it earlier, but Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, let me just read it for you again. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, sorry. Uh, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, spoke from God. It is from God. It is the work of the Spirit. Second Timothy 3, once again, it is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Jesus himself promised this. And, and, well, first off, Jesus spoke of the Old Testament this way, but he promised that the Spirit would do this work in the apostles when he spoke to them on earth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will 
inspire you to remember and speak truthfully. Here's John 16, 12 through 13. It says this, I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak from himself But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And similarly, in John 14, 26, Jesus predicts that the Holy Spirit will be your perfect memory of all things. Jesus said this about the apostles, you will be inspired. The Spirit will superintend the writing process so that even though it is from you and from your personality and your own writing, it will be perfect and complete the very Word of God at the same time. Not only is the the work of the Spirit in inspiration, though, but we also see the work of inspiration also in bearing witness. Now, some people really want a witness. What if God just told me that the Bible was true? And you know, He does that. And he does that through multiple witnesses. But here's one of them. It is through the Spirit of God within the people of God bearing witness to the truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. We just read that in John 16, right? And and that's what the Spirit of God does inside of the believer. This is called, some people refer to this as the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit bears witness that this is true. You experience a conviction of sin, of judgment, of the righteousness of God. That's what happens. It's the Spirit inside of you bearing witness to the truth. Uh, for example, turn over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, once again, these our arguments pile on top of each other, and if you think, oh, that's a terrible argument, just wait until they all fit into a big puzzle together. But uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit uh, who is from God so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. And then in verse 14 it says, A natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Notice this. If you, according to the Bible's own testimony, because of sin in the heart, because of sin in the heart, you cannot receive the truth of God on your own. You need the Spirit himself to reveal it to you. All these words here. We, we need the Spirit to know truth. We need the Spirit to accept truth. We need the Spirit to understand truth. Now that really is maybe frustrating to some people that are used to totally depending on themselves. But, but the whole testimony of Scripture is this is how bad sin is. You need the Spirit of God. The natural person cannot accept but you need the Spirit to bear witness to the truthfulness of it. In fact, this is a great verse. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, you can jot that down. Our gospel, Paul said, didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. This is how the Word of God comes. It comes with full assurance given to you from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, ah, but science. I'm just, I'm just answering one question. Witness. There's a witness for you. The Spirit of God must open your heart to believe all truth. Let's look at another reason why I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because it is divinely consistent. I believe, I believe that the Bible is very consistent. 
All these arguments about the Bible contradicts itself have never really examined the contradictions. They're just repeating an argument that they heard from somebody else. But next time somebody asks you about a contradiction, just say, please give me the contradiction. And if you don't know it, say, okay, let me just go examine it for a while. But I guarantee you, if you examine the so-called contradiction, it would make sense after examining it. But I believe, actually, if you think about it, the the Bible is incredibly consistent. And it, it evidences divine authorship. It evidences that it's from God by how consistent it is. Think about it. There are 66 some odd books in the Bible. I would argue some of those books should go together, Ezra and Nehemiah, but who cares? Uh, you know, the, the 12 altogether, but who cares? Who cares? There are, there are 66 books in the Bible. They were written by 40 different authors um, on three different continents across three different languages, all of whom probably didn't personally know each other or live in the same kind of a life setting as each other. They lived in different social conditions. Some were kings, some were shepherds. There was all sorts of writers. Some wrote in Greek, some wrote in Hebrew, some even wrote in Aramaic. And it, it happened over, over a period of time, uh, 1,500 years of writing all of the Bible was written during. And all of it is remarkably consistent with itself. That is incredible. You read the Bible and you start to get this feeling like, I feel like I've read this before. This, this makes sense. This is a theme that I've already seen in the Bible. It's almost like the same writer is writing. And that's because it is inspired by God. It is the Spirit of God, the, the ultimate divine author. But at the same time, each author is writing uniquely from his own personality. In, in a sense, you see that too. You see the personality of John. You see the personality of Peter. You see the personality of Paul all through it. If you read it enough, you're like, I recognize how John sounds. But think about how consistent it is. Think about how consistent it is. There, there, that amount of time to write a book that we can read now and say, this doesn't actually have any contradictions in it. And once again, I can't, I can't argue with all the contradictions today because there's not enough time. But that amount of time without any contradictions is remarkable. Just, just go back, not even 1,500 years, but go back 500 years. Uh, go back 200 years, between 200 years ago and today, and say, I'm going to compile all of these histories of the world, and I'm going to put them all in one book. Are they going to be consistent? No. They're all going to be very different. They're all going to argue with one another. But the Bible we see is very consistent with itself. You get the feeling reading the Bible that it's the same author. That's because it's the work of the Spirit of God. And once again, that argument, I really do believe, is given by people that have never actually read the Bible. They're just repeating an argument, if you ask me. But I could, I could a- answer exact questions if you want. But another reason, another reason, here's a, here's a good one. Um, number four, another reason why I believe the Bible, it perfectly predicts future events. Now, all of these points have, have essentially been one point. I've essentially been saying one point to you. The Bible is divine. The Bible is God's word. It is from God. It is inspired from God. And I, I would suggest to you that when you examine the prophecy of the Bible, the, the divine quality of the scriptures really come through. When you examine prophecy, for example, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament prophets, when they predicted the future, did it perfectly. And and we know this because we know when they wrote 
and we know what they spoke of, and we know what happened after they spoke. They, they spoke of times, and they predicted things that would happen within the Old Testament itself, and those things happened. For example, Isaiah predicted Cyrus's destruction of Jeru- or Cyrus's uh, return from uh, of, of the exile of the Jews in exile under Cyrus a hundred years before the event happened itself. And Isaiah even predicted his name. And sometimes we read through the Bible and we're like, Oh, Cyrus, Uh, that's because Isaiah knew him and he was in charge at that point. That was a hundred years before uh, Cyrus even existed. Isaiah was predicting not only just the return from exile, but also his name. How can you do that? How can you do that unless you're inspired by God? Ezekiel 26 predicted the fall of Tyre, uh, a city north of Israel. A city that nobody thought would ever fall because it was so well fortified. And sure enough, it happened. This is one of my favorites. The prophet Daniel is often assumed to have been written very late. Long after the actual prophet Daniel, if he was actually a person, existed. Why? Because there's so many future promises and predictions in Daniel. And they're so exact and they deal with nations that are... that are far after where Daniel was, like the Romans and the Greeks and Alexander the Great. All of these predictions are so exact and they all come through that all of these experts and scholars say Daniel must have been written much later and some, somebody else wrote in Daniel's name to try to make him look great. That's what people assume for a long time. It, it, it contains far too many exact predictions to actually be history. That's impossible. Nobody can guess that good. And, and that was the assumption for the longest time. It was a... It was it couldn't have been a good guess. But then, you know, something funny happened. There was this discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. And they discovered texts that go back like 250 years before, before Christ. And, 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 and they realized that Daniel was actually written before some of these events because we found attestation to them in this find. Daniel predicted the future. And that what's even more amazing, if you ask me, then we get to the New Testament and we have... We have over 350 prophecies to the person of Jesus that he fulfills perfectly. It's nearly impossible for one man to fulfill all of these prophecies perfectly in the Old Testament, but he fulfilled them all. And, And by the way, if you ask me, this is the argument about Scripture that the apostles were really convinced by. They didn't go around in the ancient Near Eastern world saying, Jesus is risen, the tomb is empty. That wasn't their favorite argument. Their favorite argument was, Jesus has fulfilled all the scriptures. He is the one that we've been promised to from Genesis 3. He has come, and he has risen again, and he has proven that he is God's son. Not only because we have witnessed his authority in miracles, and signs and wonders, but we have witnessed his divine nature in the resurrection itself. That's the sermon of Acts 2. That is Romans 1 verse 4 right there. He has risen from the dead just like the Bible said he would. That is incredibly compelling. The Bible speaks of the future with divine, perfect exactness, and it is right The Bible is divine in origin. It's very evident if you read the Bible that, man, this was from God and not just from men. But here's another argument, another argument that um, I would put forward before you for reasons I believe the Bible. It has been proven through test 
and trial. So over here, remember this category, the transmission is messed up. It's the game of telephone. We know how this goes. Telephone never comes out the right way. But actually, I believe it has proven itself. The Bible has proven itself through all of the tests and criticisms and arguments that anybody can put against it. And by the way, just before I say anything, um, if somebody makes that argument to you, that the, the transmission process is not reliable, they haven't even studied the transmission process. You, if you can make that statement, it shows how ignorant you are of how incredible the argument for the authority of Scripture is based on the transmission of Scripture alone. I could talk all day on the transmission of Scripture. And I will try not to. I will try to keep it to two pages. So, here we go. Ready? Um, first off, Archaeologically, I would say it has been tested and tried and proven um, accurate. Now, you want to be cautious. Don't, don't rest all of your belief on the turn of a spade in Israel, right? I, I uh, had a professor in seminary that would always, always remind us that, hey, you know what? You know what they're digging up? They're only digging up a fraction. They're only digging up a small little sliver of the evidence that is to be found in that area. And of that small little sliver that they dig up, they can only examine or they can only like catalog a, a fraction of that. And of, and of that fraction, they can only examine a fraction of that. And of that fraction, they can only publish a paper on that. So it's a, it's a very small little sliver of information that we get from archaeological evidence, but it is strong nonetheless. And, and there's this other quote that I would also want to bring to you. Sometimes people present the Bible as an error because of this argument. Absence of evidence. It's like, it's as if they want to go over to Israel and start digging and instantly find the cross and the tomb and, you know, a, a sign that says Jesus did this and died and was buried and wrote. It's like, it's as if, it's as if, hey, I didn't find that, therefore I don't believe any of it. But Here's, here's, here's an interesting thought for you. The absence of evidence isn't the evidence of absence. Just because you didn't find anything doesn't mean that it's an evidence of absence. It just means you haven't dug enough yet. Matter of fact, the more they dig in Israel, the more they find that the Bible is reliable. They find evidence for the Bible's reliability. And, and that's why I'm hesitant to say, man, this is my best argument. This is my favorite argument. It's, it's just an evidence. All you're finding is, hey, that was actually there. For example, for so long, um, many people doubted in the historical, um, historical person of David. They're like, there was no historical David. There was just a bunch of like, you know, chieftains, and they ran around fighting each other, and then they concocted this story that turned out to be the historical David. For the longest time, people, experts, doubted the historical person of Moses and whether he even wrote that law. They thought that came long after. For the longest time, people even doubted the, the historicity of the nation of the Hittites. There was a mass of people in the north of Israel, and people were like, we haven't found any evidence, therefore we have the evidence of absence because we haven't found any evidence of David, Moses, or the Hittites. But, but once again, that is... That is a very foolish way to make conclusions archaeologically. Because once again, remember, you aren't digging up everything that there is to see. You can't see everything. There's been wars and bombs and all these things have happened in the nation of Israel. So just to say, didn't find evidence of David is a little bit narrow-minded. It's like people saying, I don't believe in God. Do you have all knowledge of the universe? No. 
So how can you say that God cannot exist? Well, it's exactly, it's like, it's, I'm, gonna, I'm going to control the evidence, and then based on the evidence that I have controlled, I'm going to make conclusions. And that's not really a good way to uh, shape eternal trajectories, is it? It's a very foolish way. But for the longest time, for the longest time, they doubted these, they doubted David, they doubted Moses, they doubted the nation of the Hittites, and then they concluded that the evidence pointed to absence, but then eventually they discovered evidence. They, they discovered a stone, um, a stone that actually spoke of the house of David and the nation of Israel. They discovered the, 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 the evidence of uh, the code of, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but they discovered a, I'll, I'll paraphrase it for you. They, they discovered a code in the ancient world that paralleled the very same writing style that Moses used and proving that he was probably around because he used the exact same writing style. And now no scholar uh, kind of disbelieves in the historicity of Moses if they're, if they're self-respecting. They discovered the ancient nation of the Hittites just by digging. So all to say, archaeologically, it, there, has nothing, uh, there has never been anything that's been found that disproves the Bible. Uh, they have not found anything that disproves the Bible. And that maybe not seem like a, a strong argument to you, but once again, you've got to understand the way archaeological evidence works. But how about the reliability of the Old Testament text? Now, this gets us more towards like the transmission. And for the longest time, for the longest time, people would say uh, the earliest manuscript we have of the Old Testament is from 1000 A.D. That's 1000 after Christ. How, how in the world can we trust in a manuscript that is so long after Christ. And think about it this way. Probably also scholars were saying, because this was the oldest manuscript they had, they're like, that is a thousand years of Christianity just making its way and, and having its way with, for example, the, the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament. How did that not get corrupted by Christian influence? And for the longest time, Old Testament scholars suggested, hey, uh, the Old Testament's been corrupted, it's been redacted, it's been changed to fit the narrative, right? Because the oldest manuscript we have is 1000 AD, therefore eh, a little shady business is going on. But then, once again, those, those pesky deadski scrolls that, that unearth a copy of the Old Testament that went all the way back to 250 BC, that's before Christ, 250 years before Christ, you know what they found? They found that the Old Testament is incredibly preserved. They found out that the only variations in the prophet Isaiah were just a few little scribal differences in spellings. They found that the, the Old Testament stands up incredibly well, and also, what does this mean? The Jews knew how to copy. Matter of fact, some people say the reason why uh, an older manuscript isn't found in the Old Testament record is because the Jews were so careful at copying, they would burn the old documents once they were done with it because they would rather that the Word of God was burned and carefully copied than have it you know, disintegrate into nothing. The Jews were very careful. They, they, would, they would be very, very cautious in how they copied the Scriptures. And that is shown to us, that is shown to us, through just the Dead Sea Scrolls and the evidence of that. Or how about the New Testament? Now, some people use the opposite argument for you know, diminishing the authority of the New Testament. They say, you know what? There are so many manuscripts. There are so many copies. There are so many uh, variations. I, I, I was going to do a list for you, but I decided not to. But 
But like the amount of manuscripts that we have for other ancient documents in that time period is minuscule. It's like 10 manuscripts, and those are like 100 years removed from the original writing. Like, uh, th that's from like Caesar, Caesar's Wars and, and, and other ancient manuscripts like that. You know how many manuscripts we have for like the, uh, the New Testament? It's in the thousands. It's in the thousands, and some of those are only 25 to 50 years removed from the original period of their writing. And then there's tons of manuscripts. But once again, people say, but look at all the variations. Look, this, 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 this manuscript kind of puts this verse like this, and that verse, and, and it puts that word over here, or something like that, or that's the argument they use. But I would say the authority and reliability of the New Testament actually is in the plethora, in the plethora of the manuscript evidence. We can tell exactly what the original writer said. Why? Because we have so many copies of it, and it's so easy to see where, like, one branch of manuscript kind of changed the spelling, and that, that kind of caused the whole, a whole, like, branch to kind of follow that trajectory in, in a way. We can see that. And by comparing, comparing, we can actually have, we can actually have 99% certainty about what the original writing said. So, for example, you, you, have, you have Paul, um, let's say, writing from, from Rome, and one of those manuscripts goes to Antioch, one of those goes to Turkey, one of those goes to Egypt, let's say one of those goes somewhere else as well, and, and you can see all of, those, all of those go there, and then they make copies of those copies, and those copies spread out, and so on and so forth. And then what do you do when you gather all those back together? You can say, oh, I can, I can very see the, the manuscript that went to Egypt, and I can see how, they, how those in, in, impacted other manuscripts, but it's very consistent. And you can even see the, the Antioch branch. And then when you put them all together, you're like, oh, this is what the original one said, and we can be very clear about it. I'm not suggesting, of course, that there are tons of contradictions. I, I, I am saying there are maybe many variations, but they're highly explainable. It's like a scribe accidentally read the same line and repeated it. It's very explainable. Those are the contradictions. There's never a contradiction of doctrine. There's never a contradiction of something crucial or critical. The biggest questions that we have are about the passage of Mark, and I, Mark 16, and I could argue why, why that is the way it is. But, but the, the main body of Scripture, we have incredible, incredible comfort, incredible security. And to boil it all down to this point, and I'm trying to go fast, and I apologize, once again, we have 99% assurance of what the original manuscript said. And, and the, the longer people press on this question, the more confidence they get. And, and once again, this is why I would say to you, if you find yourself asking these questions, it's because you're actually not reading about all of the work that I would even say unbelieving scholars have done and concluded about the New Testament and the Old Testament and archaeology. It's actually incredibly compelling evidence. I've got, I've got some resources if you're interested, but... Let's move on. Another reason why I believe the Bible. Um, here, I'll skim through these really quick. Number one, or number six, rather. Um, it best explains the world as we know it. It explains how we can have both order and beauty and ugliness and sin. It, it explains the moral dilemmas that we see in our world. It explains, it explains the human heart better than any other document, if you ask me, it has explanatory power. Number seven, it is morally righteous altogether. It has a moral ethic that has transcended every culture, every time. Even to today, 
you could, you, we could go to any verse in the Bible and say, there is something different about the moral worth, the moral ethic of this command, even in the Old Testament. It is amazing. It, has a, it is morally righteous altogether. Or here's one of my favorites, number eight. It is, the Bible is honest, honestly embarrassing. It contains stories that people who are trying to make up a religion wouldn't include. I don't think the early church would have wanted to repeat the story about Ananias and Sapphira. I don't think Israel wanted, would want to repeat a story about Abraham doubting and, uh, and uh, going into his slave woman, Hagar. I don't think Israel want, would want to repeat a story about Moses getting angry, the lawgiver himself getting angry and not being able to go into the promised land. I don't think Israel would want to repeat a story about Israel's failures like all throughout Joshua. Remember that? It's, it's highly embarrassing, and that suggests to us that it just might be true. It's, it's honestly embarrassing. Here's another one, another argument for the reliability of the Bible, why I believe the Bible. It, I believe it because it bears the blood of martyrs all over it. I believe the Bible because it bears the testimonies of the martyrs. Remember, men died because they believed what the Bible said. And not just people that heard about it from others. The eyewitnesses of Jesus himself died because they believed in him and they believed the words that the Spirit inspired them and other apostles to write. I don't think they were making it up. They were all convinced, all of them, of the truth and the authority of God's word. These early Christians were so convinced by the truth of Jesus, they were not only willing to suffer for his name, but they were also willing to suffer for, for the preservation of the Bible itself. And you see that all throughout you know, church. When you, when, you look at the, when you look at the kind of the transmission of the evidence, people cared about what the Bible said. And it began with the apostles. They, they cared about the Bible itself. But, but the final and my favorite reason for why I believe the Bible, um, number 10. Um, I started out, by the way, I just, just to recap, I started out uh, basically by saying my first argument for why I believe the Bible is because the Bible tells me so. Right? That's essentially one of my favorite arguments. Because the Bible tells me. But my favorite argument, I think the strongest argument, for you and for me, for all of us, is because Jesus tells you so. Jesus tells you that you should believe the Bible. Uh, maybe you want God to declare to you the authority of his word and the truth of his person through a personal revelation to you, through coming down and showing himself and proving himself to you. Uh, maybe you would say to yourself, or maybe your friends would say to yourself, if God would just do that and say, this is my word, this is my word, believe every part of it, then I would believe. But you know what? He did that. He did that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, lived a full human life where everyone could see. He, he performed miracles. He did signs. He did wonders that everybody could see. The apostles themselves were eyewitnesses to this and once again gave their life because they believed in who Jesus was based on the testimony of his person. And not only that, he died and rose again, declaring himself as, as, as Romans 1, 4 to be the true son of God. And what did he say about the word of God? He held it in the highest 
regard. He affirmed the whole Old Testament. He didn't say like, well, you got to watch out for that part over there or this part over there. No, he, he said in Luke 24, 44, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, all of these are scriptures. He, he, he looked at the whole Old Testament. He had a view of Moses' words that they were scripture. He had a view of the Psalms that they were scripture. He had a view of the prophets that they were scripture. He affirmed the scriptures in whole and in detail. Turn over to John 10. John 10. John 10, 35, notice how he affirms the authority of God's word in the whole and in detail. And by the way, a little textual note, uh, the Gospel of John has uh, great confirmation uh, within almost like a uh, 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 hundred years easily of the original manuscripts. And it's very easy to have, have, have certainty that the Apostle John actually wrote the Gospel of John. But John wrote this about Jesus, 1035. Uh, um, uh, Well, let's start in 34. Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. He's referring to the Old Testament. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Notice he affirms uh, it is both divine in its whole. It is the word of God that has come and then also, notice, it's in detail. The scriptures cannot be broken. Elsewhere, in, in Matthew five seventeen through 18, Jesus upholds the Bible to the smallest jot, the smallest little exclamation point, the smallest little uh, comma. He said, all of the word can't be broken. That was how Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. And not only that, he, had, he was pesky enough to affirm the historicity of two of the most debated characters in the Old Testament. He affirmed that Adam was a historical person and Jonah was an historical person. And he, almost, he also promised the future inspiration of the New Testament. Uh, he, he didn't refer to God's word as just certainly true or almost true. He said, your word is truth in John 17, 17. Jesus upheld the Bible as authoritative. Jesus tells you so. Now that's a lot of evidence. And that's not even half of it. That's incredible. Let me, let me just sum up in, in, in three, three points what I've said. I believe the Bible because the Bible claims authority. I believe the Bible because the evidence affirms that authority. And the, the final point, the final point is, is, uh, is kind of a question to you. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? The implication of authority is that this is the word of God. And do you believe what the word of God says about you and to you? The Bible is, is reliable in its transmission The Bible is powerful in its claim, but the Bible is also demanding in its implication. This is God's word. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you would help these students to understand these things, help them to think of good follow-up questions that we can continue to think over. pray this all in um, your son Jesus' name. Amen.